and thank you for joining us on the Therapy Cable podcast. What you're about to listen to are conversations and interviews on some of the most crucial and important topics in the behavioral and mental health space. It is our mission to help remove the stigmas attached to mental health, psychology, and addiction, one recording at a time. clinical psychologist with Therapy Cable. And today we will be talking about the cluster B diagnosis of personality disorders, and, uh, which is categorized under DSM uh, within the uh, three clusters of personality disorders. In another video, we talked about cluster A. Today, uh, the cluster B focuses on four personality disorders, antisocial uh, personality disorder, borderline personality disorder, histrionic personality disorder, and narcissistic personality disorder. We have another video that thoroughly goes through the symptoms, etiology, and treatment of borderline personality disorder, so I will only summarize very quickly about borderline and then move on to a more in-depth conversation about antisocial and histrionic as well as narcissistic. So first of all, I want to make the distinction that uh, DSM-5 really uh, describes these uh, four diag- personality uh, disorders or diagnoses under the cluster B based on their presentation, not based on their root cause or uh, ideology. So in other words, these four um, personality disorders have different causes uh, that we will go to, uh, through today in this video. However, the way the cluster B has categorized them is not based on those causes. It's based on how these um, disorders present themselves if you encounter them. So in other words, if you saw a person who has antisocial personality or narcissistic or borderline or histrionic traits, features, tendencies, how how would you detect it? How would you see it? How would you know that this person has this problem. That's the, the what we are talking about, the presentation. So uh, the core theme of the presentation among all these four diagnoses is something called emotional, erratic, dramatic um, theme. So because um, generally the behavioral habits, the interactions with other people, that uh, these individuals engage in are highly emotional, are highly dramatic in nature. Uh, the way they express themselves emotionally, the way they talk, the way they perceive um, other people's actions, interactions, intentions, and respond uh, are usually uh, tainted and, and uh, defined by e- emotionality. So let's go through them and kind of differentiate um, between them. So first of all, let's start with antisocial. So antisocial um, is not really uh, what it sounds like because generally antisocial would mean people who don't like the society, don't want to be close to society, want to be away from the society. 
and that's not meant here. So antisocial, in other words, actually what is meant by it is anti-authority, anti-rule, anti-norm. However, it has been called over the many years, it has been called antisocial. So, but going to the correct understanding or meaning of it, let's look at that, anti-rule, anti-norm, anti-authority. It's, it emerges, the real meaning behind it, or real problem, uh, is that the person who is characterized with antisocial behavior basically doesn't like rules. They don't like norms and regulations, and they, they uh, revolt, rebel, and uh, object authority. People who have some kind of a power and authority over them. So the core issue that we are dealing with here is that, um, you know, generally most people uh, kind of abide by uh, rules, norms, regulations that are set in society. They quickly understand it. They learn how to deal with it, sometimes go around it, sometimes bend those in their favor, but they generally get along with the society, with the societal norms. And they don't get in trouble, and they don't rebel uh, vehemently against it. In, in, in contrast, people who have antisocial tendencies, they disregard all the societal norms. They, they don't mind getting in trouble, if you will. They, uh, they even get some gratification and satisfaction from defying authority, standing up to authority, and even breaking authority. They, at times, there may be a little bit of a desire to uh, take the whole system apart and, and destroy it. And that's also, the, the, the word destroying brings me to one of the symptoms and uh, signs that we see within the behavior of antisocial, which is usually breaking ro- rules, norms, destroying property, destroying um, things that they don't like, uh, theft, manipulation, deceit, uh, cheating, um, um, and, and even uh, destroying relationships. They, they come to a point where relationships and people really don't matter to them anymore. They become objects, they become tools for them to use in order to get to the goals that they have. And again, some kind of a gratification, self-gratification, getting their needs met, a very selfish, self-centered and destructive uh, and um, kind of overbearing, uh, overruling type of a um, stance that they take in, in life. And uh, as a result, un- ultimately what we see is that they do get in trouble, they do get punished, they do end up uh, in jails and, and prisons, and um, they engage in criminal uh, behavior, ultimately. Now, there are two variations of antisocial behavior um, that I would like to also bring up. One is con- conduct disorder. So. Uh, that's also important to understand because antisocial, if you be, were wondering, like, well, when does it surface? Is it like somebody just wakes up in their any time, like maybe they're in their 20s, 30s, 60s, and suddenly they become antisocial? And that's not the case. It's not like something that o- develops over time. That's how it relates to the idea of conduct disorder because basically what we see is that 
these uh, tendencies to uh, ignore authority and uh, you know defy authority and destroy properties or even hurt people animals you know to the point of perhaps even torturing them um, this develops early on we see these types of tendencies develop in in more or less um, uh, childhood if you will um, very much very likely around early adolescence so it could even you could see it probably at right around the age of maybe five six very early signs if uh, you see kids play and they are uh, they tend to just want to get their way and ignore the well-being or needs or interests of others uh, now that can be mitigated it can be directed and that can go away but then if it doesn't and the child continues kind of getting their way and um, defying norms and rules and the parents are not really engaging a good uh, productive and effective parenting style and also the environment uh, feeds into this dynamic then that child can grow up and in their early teens they can get in some kind of a peer pressure maybe even bullying maybe even just too much of a permissive uh, parenting style where they uh, they learn how to manipulate people they learn how to get the things they want and overrule authority stand up to authority uh, ignore uh, you know directions directives commands regulations and again it becomes a self-perpetuating self-reinforcing cycle where uh, they get their needs met and, and defy authority, defy rules and norms, and then start not really minding getting in trouble, including, for instance, truancy. They you know, may stay away from classes and the school environment. They may get into association with the wrong crowds, maybe even associating with some gangs, maybe even getting involved with drug use, etc. And all kinds of more or less experimental things that they are getting involved with, but all into more or less a destructive pattern, destructive direction. And by the time they're late teens, there is this tendency in the DSM, at this uh, DSM diagnosis, to draw a line about 18 years of age. So if, if we observe teenagers engage in this conduct, and that's why it's called a conduct disorder, um, which also... Um, in, in its early form, it's more categorized as what they call oppositional defiant disorder. So it develops from this, you know, anti-rule, anti-authority, I'm going to get away with whatever I want in early ages and turns into this oppositional defiant disorder, if you will, if it is extreme, and then into a solid conduct disorder where the person is just continually engaging in this type of a um, anti-authority, anti-rule behavior until they hit 18. Once they hit 18, then we are more um, comfortable, if you will, more confident with diagnosing antisocial personality disorder because right around the age of, if you will, majority, uh, 18, 19, 20, that's where we psychologically believe uh, that a person's personality has already fully formed. Up until age of 18, it's hard to tell because there are lots of opportunities for them to change their personality. So it's kind of 
the progression from anti-authority, anti-rule, uh, into uh, opposition defined disorder, conduct disorder, anti-social disorder. And then the variation that I also wanted to bring up is something called psychopath, psychopathic or sociopath, sociopathic disorder. That is an area that is hardly researched as um, rigorously as the other areas and it's not really categorized in the DSM. It's not part of these clusters and it's not part of a solid diagnosis, but generally in the field of psychology we know of sociopathic and psychopathic behaviors. We know of some tendencies and it's interesting that some of those sociopathic and psychopathic behaviors can actually go undetected and they exist under the radar for many, many years until it's more or less too late to a point where once the person with this disorder is caught, there has been quite a lot of damage done, uh, such as murder, um, embezzlement, um, uh, destruction of some kind of uh, rules or norms or systems, even nationwide or worldwide systems. One of the examples can come to mind are um, uh, great manipulators in the history. Uh, for instance, um, generally there is a case of uh, uh, Bernie Madoff, uh, a, a billionaire uh, financier who is known to have embezzled billions of dollars during the 2000, for actually over the period of 50 years, but ending in 2008-2009, where um, uh, for 50 years, all his uh, scam was undetected because he generally didn't get in trouble. He didn't uh, defy uh, rules uh, blatantly to a point of destroying, uh, blatantly destroying people's uh, property or uh, wealth, etc. Up until a time where the, the, the entire scheme of embezzlement that ultimately ended in destroying people's wealth, including putting hundreds of thousands of people out of jobs, costing their pensions, etc., uh, and, and even uh, leading to some people uh, suicide and uh, destruction of families, etc., came to the surface after he was inducted, after he was um, put in prison, after lawsuits had, had been filed, and after all these witnesses came for, uh, came forth to uh, to claim the reward, if you will, to the destruction that had been done to their to their families and to their wealth. So that that's just one example. There are hundreds of other examples again where people can also defy rules and norms of the society, including embezzling, including uh, manipulating, cheating. Um, uh, defying all kinds of norms and societal, uh, moral, ethical norms and rules, and, and some of them also legal, uh, and go undetected. That can also happen. So this was just a very brief summary, really, about antisocial category with some outliers on the um, sides. Let's move on to the next category, which is borderline personality disorder. Um, borderline personality disorder, very summarily uh, formed here and described, uh, has to do with more or less the, a person's um, difficulty with emotional regulation, 
around relationship issues, but specifically within uh, the relationships uh, that they experience, there is something important, an, an issue or a concept that we call attachment and bonding. And, and within that concept of developing that bond to another person, there's always this threat that um, this bond may not happen or this may be broken. Uh, the other person may change their mind and uh, they may leave the relationship. So uh, the threat of rejection, the threat of abandonment, the threat of a um, dissolution of this bond always exists. Now, generally, people may go about it with all kinds of strategies that they may have internally. Let's say they're tapping into their own resources and not worrying much about it or being good negotiators or communicators, being able to resolve these issues before they get out of hand. But people with borderline personality disorder or even traits or features, they have a hard time doing so. So uh, they tend to really uh, be deficient in their regulation of their feelings around this threat and this idea that my partner may leave me or this relationship may come to an end, this may not last, or I may be rejected, or my way of being and thinking and my likes and dislikes may be rejected by my partner. So that's the whole core issue. Now, what they do is because there is another component, which is very much an irrational and uh, black and white thinking, all or none thinking, a pattern of cognitive reasoning that exists at the same time, which really goes hand in hand with that emotional dysregulation. They're kind of two sides of the same coin. They tend to reinforce each other, meaning if there is a sign that the partner of a person is um, not lenient to give in to a certain need or demand that this person has, they may immediately engage their all or none thinking, black and white thinking, and fear the worst, and think that the entire relationship is useless and worthless, and then therefore uh, again react too emotionally to, and too strongly to their partner, for instance, maybe even preemptively leave the relationship, maybe even threaten the partner with leaving the relationship as a means to the protecting themselves or kind of sending a signal that there is something wrong, but they are kind of going to the extreme, like they go from zero to 60 in a second. And that is ultimately uh, observed in their behavior, in their expression of their feelings, in the way that they are getting extremely angry, extremely emotional, extremely agitated and frustrated and um, basically engage in this impulsive momentary behaviors of, uh, for instance, leaving uh, you know, the room and uh, not wanting to talk, shutting down, kind of leaving the conversation or even getting highly agitated and even verbally or physically abusive. So um, that's the part that ties into that presentation why they belong into this cluster B because of this highly agitated uh, presentation. Just want to backtrack a little bit uh, before we go forward because I wanted to draw a little bit of similarity why antisocial and borderline belong to the same category because again with antisocial you get a lot of this um, overtly 
uh, destructive behaviors. They people who have antisocial tendencies. They don't care about others. They are in the face, um, in your face, basically. They they become belligerent. They become uh, quite um, uh, condescending uh, and uh, demeaning. Uh, and then you go to borderline, they become emotional, impulsive, uh, angry, agitated, again, also in your face, very much belligerent at times. And then you have uh, the next category, histrionic, uh, and, and as well as narcissistic, that also become very much expressive with their feelings and emotions that um, either are designed to um, evoke a certain emotion in the partner, such as histrionic wanting to, um, let's say, seduce the, the, the other person or attract the other person or become the center of their attention or with narcissistic wanting to almost exert control over the other party. So all of those are, have a commonality in terms of their intensity of their emotional expression and experience. Therefore, that they have been clustered into this cluster B um, around the theme of erratic, dramatic, emotional presentation. So now moving on with um, histrionic, uh, the issue with histrionic, uh, what we see is generally that there is a desire to uh, be in the center of attention, to, uh, to influence the people around them uh, to the point that they can get their they get their focus, attention, their interest, their their buy-in, if you will, that they other people invest their time and energy in uh, in this person with the histrionic personality. So, uh, therefore, a lot of their, if you will, communication and approach toward others is. Uh, is um, characterized as is uh, embedded with um, lots of emotionality you know uh, expressing themselves in a very highly emotional way using uh, mostly words that are aligned with uh, feelings and emotions and um, and also exaggerating to a to a point, becoming very flamboyant, again seductive, and also it's not just the way they present themselves verbally, but also uh, uh, in terms of their uh, demeanors and, and 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 dress code and uh, just kind of the presence in the moment. They can be very. Um, they, they dress up very impressively at times, again, like I mentioned, seductively to a point of influencing the other person with their body language, with their body presentation, with their um, the way they are uh, relating to the other person, um, perhaps sensually and sexually. Uh, so they use that. They use that aspect of a person's um, if you will, character and personality uh, to exert influence and to, uh, to draw the, the other party toward themselves. So it's that combination of a very seductive, sexual, sensual, uh, in the moment a type of experience. It can include a lot of facial expression, eye contact, almost intrusive, if you will, and um, to a time, to, to extent overbearing and um, uh, and invasive, but also 
using um, uh, extremely uh, emotional words and feelings to express themselves. However, interestingly, despite all this high emotionality and uh, uh, co connection via their feelings with the other person, there is some shallowness to them. There is a little bit of, um, if you will, um, vagueness. Uh, so if you there's no depth to it. There's no real truth and genuine expression in it. A person who spends time with a histrionic over time learns that, well, you know, all of this is really for show. It's mostly to just keep me interested, but nothing much beyond that. There is no depth. And, uh, and you know that when you, um, when you interact with a person, whether or not you can connect with them on a much deeper level get to a more meaningful type of a bond and connection and kind of an empathic understanding of one another or it's kind of fleeting and 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 um, flies by it's like after a while you have heard a lot of these feelings emotions and kind of changes the subject it becomes vague there's no detail to it uh, so <clears throat> ultimately what we see from histrionic personality as they're using all this you know, emotional presentation, dramatic interrelatedness uh, with others. Again, in order to um, be important, feel important, feel wanted, and not feel rejected, uh, feel some kind of a, a value and appreciation and power and admir admiration. Um, now, let's move on to narcissistic, which is also kind of similar, if you will, in their nature in terms of etiology, I would say, because also narcissistic is really based on the desire of uh, gaining power in, in a relationship. So first of all, the core, one of the core root, um, um, if you will, causes of narcissism is really a sense of powerfulness. Now, uh, I'm not going to get into much of a psychodynamic explanation of it. There's a lot of research in the psychodynamic, psychoanalytic field, self-psychology, object relations, uh, and other uh, branches of psychodynamic uh, um, psychology that explains a lot of very detailed um, stages of the progression, really, or development of narcissistic personality development. But the, I can summarize it into more or less that identity of the person having developed to a point where they see themselves very powerful, uh, highly valuable, highly um, uh, more or less admirable. They think of themselves uh, quite highly. They, they put themselves on the pedestal and they, they would like to uh, get that from their environment. So it's a desire of positioning themselves, seeing themselves as powerful and in power, and also wanting to have that reinforced and reiterated and validated by their environment, which is means people around them. So family members, spouses, kids, parents, etc. Again, there's a sense of being center of attention. However, it's more intellectual. It's more, if you will, uh, abstract. It's more um, in terms of a, a sense of knowledge about themselves versus the histrionic where 
it is evident in their the way they dress up, the way they seduce people, the way they you know emotionally talk to others, the way they um, uh, almost on a minute to minute, second to second basis. Uh, exert influence and include a lot of these feelings and emotions and affective aspect of the relationship. Uh, the, the narcissistic may not do that. However, intellectually, uh, cognitively, in terms of their core belief system, they see themselves at, at a higher level than everybody else. They admire themselves. They may not express it. They may not become very emotional about it. They may not... Um, um, emphasize and and um, and um, kind of stress the, the need to be admired in the moment, but in in general, in terms of their way of reasoning, negotiating, um, uh, strategizing, uh, expressing their needs over longer period of time, um, responding to their partners and to family members, friends, co-workers, etc. You see this hubris. You see this omnipotence about them. You see this uh, sense of I'm better than everybody else. I'm better than you. But there is another part to it too, and uh, you would think, oh, well, so and uh, so basically, people with narcissistic personality disorder walk around always um, on cloud nine and think they're better than others. But that's really not the case. The downside to all these, let's say, elevated. Uh, sense of self-worth is a very dark um, void that they also feel about themselves uh, that's very secretive. They don't display that, they don't show it, they don't let anybody know, and they fear, actually, that um, uh, that acknowledgement. Like, if they would be regarded as normal, where, let's say, if it is a scale of completely um, unlikable, undesirable, worthless to a normal person, to highly admirable, admired, um, valuable person. Uh, you know, they kind of, they don't have this bottom. If, if there is any indication that someone regards them as a normal, mediocre person, uh, the bottom gives out for them and they fall all the way into that void. They can't stand this type of a reaction from other people that, well, I'm just like everybody else. I can't stand that. They have to be on that pedestal. So if they're not on that the pedestal, they drop all the way down to the, into the depth of, of that abyss of um, basically worthlessness and, um, and, 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 and complete opposite of omnipotence. So absolute uh, lack of power and um, value and worth and that is extremely uh, devastating to them to the point that they cannot stand uh, normal reactions or normal responses they just cannot stand that and they therefore strive and manipulate the relationship to always remain at this high pedestal so that's very difficult to maintain and over time this kind of strategy really reveals itself it becomes transparent other people in their lives, they notice that they're more or less just objects and tools in this gimmick and this strategy of self-admiration for narcissistic people. And, uh, and they suffer uh, or they leave or they become abused. And you, a lot of times you see this type of abusive relationships, for instance, 
between someone who tends to have uh, dependent personality disorder because they don't want to make decisions for themselves and they don't believe much in, in themselves and they um, they also are uh, risk averse and that that nicely fits into the game plan of a narcissism who uh, has uh, you know is not risk averse is risk prone um, you know loves to make decisions all day all night uh, you know prides themselves in do, making the best decisions and having all the power and having all the authority etc so they kind of find each other if you will but then unfortunate part is that they become it becomes a very abusive relationship and codependent relationship so to summarize all these four um, uh, personality disorders again antisocial borderline um, histrionic and narcissistic personality. They have different etiologies, different core issues, different uh, desires, different solutions too. And um, however, they've been categorized in cluster B uh, around their presentation. That is very dramatic, the way they engage with people and express themselves. Now, the solutions are quite different. They will uh, create a, in a couple of videos talking about the solutions, how to deal with these personality disorders uh, as each one of them really deserve their own uh, time and um, I invite you to uh, watch some of the other videos that we have created especially about cluster A and a thorough explanation about borderline personality uh, and also leave us comments we would love to hear from you about what you think about this video how we can improve if you would like to hear other uh, topics if you would like to hear other explanations and um, uh, please leave a comment, uh, email us, or um, let us know uh, otherwise uh, via our website by contacting us and um, look for our other videos as well. Thank you very much and have a nice day. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Therapy Cable Podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcast provider. To view the entire videos of these episodes, visit us online at therapycable.com and send us an email about your thoughts and topic suggestions.